live from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. to you assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to the voice of the cape 91.3 fm studio uh, my name is ashraf kini good to be back on the radio with you uh, this time in a show called the relief network uh, and uh, of course today we're featuring the largest muslim ngo in the world um, uh, very confidently said the largest muslim ngo in the world that of course none other than islamic relief south africa or islamic relief worldwide we're featuring today uh, on uh, the relief network alhamdulillah and uh, you're going to be learning a bit more about the organization, the work that they do, the things that they're involved in, also in terms of the way they do things, which I think is also going to be quite interesting. So we're going to be looking at uh, all of those different aspects in terms of finding out who exactly Islamic Relief is, how long they've been in existence, and how many people it's been able to help over its 30-odd year existence, alhamdulillah. And uh, the after, inshallah, we're also going to be taking a look at some of the Ramadan projects, and I think to start off on behalf of Islamic Relief South Africa, we'd like to wish each and every one of you a Ramadan Mubarak and a Ramadan Kareem. We pray, of course, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants uh, each and every one of us to benefit to the full extent of this month, inshallah, so that we can come uh, out of this month feeling and, and having achieved what we had intended to achieve, inshallah. So that message on behalf of Islamic Relief to all of you. And so as I mentioned, we're going to be finding out a bit more about Islamic Relief. We're going to be trying to get hold of the Chief Operating Officer of Islamic Relief, who is Brother Yusuf Muhammad, who I'm told is in a meeting, and I'm hopeful, I'm, well, I'm hopeful that he'll come out of that meeting to chat to us, inshallah. Um, thereafter, We'll be finding out a bit more about some of the Ramadan campaigns uh, that uh, Islamic Relief will be doing. Uh, now, Islamic Relief South Africa, of course, run operations, particularly around Ramadan uh, and day-to-day operations, not only in South Africa, but also in Lesotho and in Zimbabwe. And I was fortunate enough last week in sh- uh, to have traveled with the team to Lesotho to see uh, and experience some of the distributions and some of the activities that they had uh, been involved in there and uh, we're going to be chatting to some VF, various people with regards to the various operations in South Africa. We'll be chatting to uh, Rishka Suleiman, we'll be chatting to Tariq Matiba who will, giving us, will be giving us an update on Lesotho uh, and then we'll be getting an update from Zimbabwe and East Africa as well. Uh, in the last half an hour of the show inshallah which will be from 11.30 until 12 this morning we'll be chatting to uh, one of the staff members or long-standing staff members of Islamic Relief uh, and doing a bit of a profile on her. Uh, of course, we'll be doing a number of such profiles over the weeks uh, of the show, which will run f- every Monday between 10 and 12 until the end of the month of Ramadan, inshallah. So we're asking you to join us. We're asking you to participate in the program this morning. And this is how you can do it. So I'm sure by now you know the WhatsApp line. I'm sure by now you know the SMS line. And I'm sure you know the phone number. Um, and this is what I want to know from you this morning. The Campaign, the Ramadan campaign of Islamic Relief this year is focused around the following slogan, every second counts. Now, if we look at that slogan and we contextualize it and we think about it in every facet of our lives, every second counts, doesn't it? 
right? So when we, from the time that we have on this earth, every second counts. From the time that we have during the month of Ramadan, every second counts. From the time that we have in this dunya, every second counts. Um, so that's the slogan. So what I want to know from you this morning is, how during this month of Ramadan do you plan or have you, do you plan on making every second count? Or how, during this month of Ramadan, have you already made uh, an effort to make every second count, inshallah? So that's what I want to know from you. Of course, you know the SMS line is 47913. I'll repeat for those new listeners. And uh, the WhatsApp is 072-238-0712. Uh, that's 072-238-0712. Uh, and that's how you can reach us this morning. Of course, a little bit later, we'll be uh, asking Auntie Abida on the other side of the glass there to open up the lines for us, inshallah. And uh, we'll be chatting to some of you. But to start of the show, inshallah, on a more soothing, more spiritually uplifting note, we're going to play a track from one of the ambassadors of Islamic Relief. Uh, and of course, no stranger to the airways of the radio station either. Of course, Brother Zain Bika uh, to welcome and to home us up this morning, inshallah. Oh, mountains of Mecca, highway. 
FM studio on the show Relief Network with the largest Muslim organization in the world, Islamic Relief, of course. Of course, we are here with you every Monday between 10 and 12 for the rest of the month of Ramadan, inshallah. So we're asking you to join us and tune in and uh, engage with us as well. I've given you those contact details and I'll share those with you again shortly in a few minutes, inshallah. But for now, we join online by the Chief Operating Officer of Islamic Relief South Africa, Brother Yusuf Muhammad. Brother Yusuf, salam alaikum and shukran so much uh, for taking the time out to join us this morning. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Brother Ashraf, and to the listeners of Voice of the Cape, Ramadan Mubarak to you all, inshallah. Inshallah. Now, of course, we know the um, the campaign or the lead campaign for Islamic relief for this Ramadan is focused around every second counts. I'm going to ask you to get into that a little bit. But before we do so, um, for those listeners who are not so familiar about Islamic relief, uh, shed some more light into what the organization is all about and, and what the work and, and some of the work that they do. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Islamic Relief is a independent humanitarian development organization and has been serving humanity for the last 32 years. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, we have an active presence in over 40 countries across the globe and strive really to make the world a better and fairer place for the 3 billion people that are still living in poverty today. Um, as I said, started in 1984, and since having received our first donation, we've literally helped millions of the world's poorest and most vulnerable people. And what guides us at Islamic Relief is nothing other than our faith and our Islamic values. And we really believe at Islamic Relief that all people with wealth have a duty to those less fortunate, regardless of their race, political affiliation, their gender or their belief. Alhamdulillah, Islamic Relief in Cape Town was established in 2004, and we are based opposite the Islamia High School currently in Imam Harun Road, 396 Imam Harun Road, and we are very proud to be part of this global family. As I said, with a presence in 40 countries across the globe, we are on the ground in Syria, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, um, 
across East Africa at the moment where, as we know, there's a dire humanitarian crisis, but also right here at home in South Africa. We have presence in Cape Town, in Durban, in Johannesburg, where our main offices are, implementing projects in the most vulnerable communities across South Africa, alhamdulillah. Uh, Islamic Relief, just this year, for those that may not have heard, um, in February, we are so proud to have been, you know, in Switzerland, there's an organization known as NGO Advisor. They're an independent organization that evaluates and rates NGOs across the globe in terms of their governance, mm -hmm. impact, and innovation. Have you heard of Islamic Relief, Brother Ashraf? We have. Uh, we have. Of NGO Advisor? Yes, yes. Okay, so NGO Advisor, they score all NGOs across the globe. And to give you an idea, in America alone, there are more than one million registered NGOs. Wow. In India, there are more than 2 million registered NGOs. Um, so if you're looking globally, you're easily looking at 10 million plus at least NGOs. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to put that into perspective, if you are in the top 100,000 NGOs in the world, then you are, in, you are within the 1% the mm -hmm. of the NGOs in the world. Now this... NGO advisor, they rate NGOs, as I said, in terms of the governance, the impact, and the innovation. Innovation in terms of the, the manner in which and the programs which they implement that addresses the root causes of poverty in the world. Mm -hmm. And NGO advisor, as I said, it's an independent organization, so there's no affiliation to any of the NGOs that they rate. And Islamic Relief not only is in the, if you, if you are in the top 500, you're considered to be in the Ivy League of mm -hmm. NGOs in the world. Yes. And Islamic Relief, alhamdulillah, is in the top 20. Wow, subhanAllah. Top 20 of NGOs in the world. And this is something which not only we at Islamic Relief are extremely proud of, it's something that we believe the entire mm -hmm. Muslim ummah should be very proud of. Brother Yusuf, yes. Brother Yusuf, on, on the, the NGO advisors top 500 list, yeah. uh, I'm also, I also understand that Islamic Relief is the only Muslim uh, organization that is on that, Muslim, uh, on that top 500 list, is that correct? Yes, of course. Uh, yes, alhamdulillah, we are the, the only Muslim NGO in the top 500, and I said we're in the top 20. Mm -hmm. So um, that just is a testament to the organization, the governance, the transparency, accountability that, I that Islamic Relief has implemented over the years since establishment in 1984, as I said. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of the, of course, the international projects, Islamic Relief is, of course, very well known for. Mm -hmm. Uh, its presence on the ground in Syria uh, and uh, in many of the war-torn countries around the world and many, many other countries, uh, particularly you mentioned East Africa as well, where they are facing great challenges at the moment. And uh, of course we know a lot about, the, many of the listeners may know a lot about the work that Islamic Relief does internationally. But the question many people have is how is it that Islamic Relief is able to to, to reach so many places and be at so many places at the same time? And uh, it's interesting to note that Islam, you mentioned that Islamic Relief has 45 or 42 offices around the world. Yeah. Is it the network of offices that makes it possible for you to be able to work in so many areas at once, or do you work with other partner organizations? I think it's a combination of factors, I'd say, Brother Ashraf. Um, 
But having this global presence obviously does help. I mean, we have, as I said, we have offices that we have established offices in these countries, in 42 countries now, and continuously expanding the number of offices across the globe. Um, wherever we have offices established, we look to partner with local organizations. Part of the vision of Islamic Relief is capacity building of the local organizations. And we never try to duplicate. We always try to assist and to add or to expand whatever organizations are currently doing on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an idea, um, just, just about you know, what Islamic Relief does and how we do it, I was um, in January of this year, I met somebody in the mosque from, he was from Indonesia, he was with the Tablikh Jamaat, mm-hmm. and uh, we started a conversation in the, in the masjid, and he asked me, you know, after having some discussion, he asked me, so what do I do? So I told him, and I just recently started at Islamic Relief. Mm-hmm. When I told him that I started at Islamic Relief, his face lit up and he said, Islamic Relief? You, got, you know, I, I have such adm- admiration for your organization. I asked mm-hmm. him why. He said, no, because he was from Banda Aceh in Indonesia. And as we know, Banda Aceh is where the tsunami yeah. struck, you know, many years ago. It's almost, what, 20, 2004. years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. 2004, yeah. So quite some time, 13 years ago. And he said, you guys, you, you, still, you are still there in Banda Aceh helping to rebuild the community. And for me... You know, that was really such, uh, you know, just for him to tell me that we are still there. He said so many other NGOs had left, and that Mm -hmm. really speaks to the organization and what we are about. It's not about just being there for the camera shot and leaving. It's there to remain behind long after many other organizations have left. Mm-hmm. Islamic Relief stays behind to rebuild the community. Now that sounds really fantastic, alhamdulillah. And so for those listeners that are listening in to you and finding out about all these amazing things for the first time, of course, uh, they can go onto the website. It's www.islamic-relief.org.za. Of course, we're featuring this morning uh, the largest Muslim organization or NGO in the world, Islamic Relief. And joining us online now is uh, still the Chief Operating Officer of Islamic Relief, uh, Brother Yusuf Muhammad. Now, just before the break, Brother Yusuf, we spoke about some of the international uh, work and, and projects and how it is that Islamic Relief is able to do what it does internationally. And I'm sure many of the listeners would be asking the question, so what do they do in South Africa? She, it, you uh, care to share some more information in there? Uh, in South Africa, Alhamdulillah, one of our biggest uh, program, in fact, our, our flagship program is the one-to-one orphans program, mm-hmm. where we look after currently close to 700 orphans across the country and this program what makes it different from normal orphan sponsorship programs is that we pay one donor with one orphan Mm -hmm. so that donor then becomes the sponsor for an orphan taking care of the nutritional educational and other needs for whatever period so you can decide, for example, to sponsor an orphan for a particular number of months. Mm-hmm. And at currently, the amount to sponsor one orphan per month is about 700 rand. Mm-hmm. And then that, that sponsor will get a regular report on a quarterly basis on what the progress is of that orphan. 
in terms of their academics and also what is happening socially uh, with with the orphan. Mm -hmm. The reason uh, or the approach that Islamic Relief adopts with regards to our orphan sponsorship program is that we prefer, as indicated by international best practice, Mm -hmm. that orphans should be in a home environment where they are being taken care of by a guardian, you know, mm-hmm. guardian family. Yes. So because it's been shown that orphans that grow or that are raised in orphanages, um, they later in life, they are not able to cope with a family situation because mm-hmm. they haven't grown up in that environment. Yeah. So all our orphans are in homes that are headed by either a relative, a close relative family, mm-hmm. or other guardian family. Mm-hmm. And our job then is to ensure that this family on a monthly basis have their nutritional needs met, mm-hmm. that the orphan is attending school, and that whatever requirements they need for school is being provided by Islamic Relief through the sponsorship of the donor. Mm-hmm. And other services that we offer is to ensure that the psychosocial and other needs are mm-hmm. being taken care mm-hmm. of. So, from a psychological point of view, in terms of yeah. some of these kids, you know, would sometimes go through very difficult times. Uh, so, that's something that Islamic Relief would include in terms of the uh, orphan sponsorship? Yes. We are, current, we are always trying to expand the offering that we are able to provide for the orphan. Because mm-hmm. as we know, as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has mentioned, mm-hmm. whoever takes care of the needs of an orphan will enter into Jannah with him like this and he held his two fingers together mm-hmm. so you know, for us it's not just a matter of seeing to the needs of a person just in one you know only looking at certain aspects we have to look at holistic care for the orphan as mm-hmm. we would like to be taken as we would like to look after our own children mm-hmm. so we should treat the orphans and vulnerable children in the same way as we would like our children to be treated mm-hmm. can you imagine children going to school without having a school uniform, without going to, uh, without having a meal in the morning. Mm-hmm. So all of these needs need to be addressed as mm-hmm. well as the, so- the social needs and the, the emotional needs of the orphan. Mm-hmm. So we do have care, care workers that on a month, on, on a quarterly basis, you know, in a cycle, mm-hmm. they will ensure that at least once per quarter they visit the family uh, that is taking care of the or- where the orphan is, is living to ensure that everything is, all the needs of the orphan are being met. But, you know, as, as I said, we are constantly trying to improve the service uh, and one, one of the areas that we need to also still work on and give extra, extra care to is exactly that emotional and, and social needs of the mm-hmm. orphan. Okay. So, that's the flagship uh, local project of Islamic Relief, and uh, yeah. of course, it's of course a very well-known project, and it's it's yeah. doing quite a bit of good work. Alhamdulillah, I've been Alhamdulillah. fortunate enough to see some of the good work that's being done through that particular project. Other big projects that Islamic Relief with, uh, is involved with locally? Locally, we also have an, a program called Educate a Leader, mm-hmm. where we sponsor the educational um, or the, the tuition fees of students. That, or, that would normally not be able to get quality education. Mm-hmm. We sponsor the educational needs by providing their school fees to cover their school fees. Uh, and in so doing, we believe that we are giving them a, an opportunity at a better future. Mm-hmm. Um, we have partnered, as we mentioned earlier, we always look to establish partnerships with 
other organizations with well-established and reputable organizations in the community. In this regard, we've partnered specifically, currently we are partnered with the Two Oceans Educational Foundation, and we sponsor students at the Leadership College in Manenburg. For those of the listeners that uh, are familiar with the area, they would know that the, the Leadership College in Manenburg is really a beacon of light in the area. Children or, or learners from the Manenberg community, from really, you know, underprivileged and and in need, and communities that are really in need, they are now able to access quality education. And one of many success stories is the the young lady that that achieved six distinctions in her matric wow. exam last year. This student was sponsored through our Educator Leader Program. Alhamdulillah. Wow, subhanAllah. So I think from the work, from the things that you've mentioned in terms of the local activities that Islamic Relief is involved in, one would assume then that the, the, the focus for Islamic Relief locally is more focused on development um, and uh, less focused on sort of the day-to-day uh, feeding of people, etc. Well, as, as you know, Brother Ashraf, uh, there is definitely a need. We do have people that are hungry. Um, that need food and you know in that regard we can't ignore the traditional um, feeding schemes that are being conducted by many other organizations and we also as I said we see to the nutritional needs of for example our orphans and we have regular um, programs where we do provide such you know food hampers and so on but this needs to be you know coupled with for a development, real development for the community. And that's what at Islamic Relief we believe in, real development, real transformation, where you're actually breaking the cycle of poverty. So even with our orphans program, we try to implement programs with the caregivers or guardians of the orphans, because as we know, many of these orphans come from underprivileged areas where perhaps even the guardians are unemployed. Mm -hmm. So we try to provide programs to upskill and develop the capacity of the guardians themselves to break that cycle and then ultimately to be in a position to provide for their family and the orphan because that will then enable us to sponsor another family and repeat that type of a cycle where we develop that family again into a position where they are able to take care of themselves. Likewise, um, as I mentioned with the educational program that we have, Educate the Leader, that is real development. Mm -hmm. This young lady, for example, that got the six distinctions, we had already planned and had a a plan in place to sponsor sponsor her university studies. Mm -hmm. But because of her achievement, she was able to get a a bursary. Mm -hmm. And she approached us and said, Alhamdulillah, she doesn't need our uh, bursary sponsorship because she got a bursary to study at the University of Stellenbosch. Mm-hmm. She is studying accounting uh, this year, alhamdulillah, and we were able then to use that fund to some, for mm-hmm. someone else who was in need. So education, as we know, is the key, really, to somebody's future, to, mm-hmm. to the, especially for our youth. Yeah. We need to ensure that they are edu- educated and equipped to, to be able to fend for themselves. And mm-hmm. if we are able to assist those families from underprivileged backgrounds to achieve quality education, to give them access to university. Everyone, or, or what we have found is there's so much potential in these areas, it's just that they don't have the opportunity. 
So if we are able to create this opportunity, then alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, and obviously with the effort of the student, they are able to achieve and uh, and attain a degree which makes them, you know, puts them in a position to break that cycle, as we say. Mm Indeed. Brother Yusuf, shukran so much for joining us this morning. Hopefully, inshallah, in the coming weeks, you'll be able to join us in studio. We'll be able to elaborate a bit more on some of uh, what you've mentioned this morning. But shukran so much for taking the time out. I know you have a very busy schedule. So shukran once again, and uh, we'll chat you in uh, the coming weeks, inshallah. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at some of the local projects now. Uh, we just had a chat to Brother Yusuf Muhammad. We expanded a bit more on some of the local and international projects. But it's the month of Ramadan and we want to know what organizations and what particularly Islamic Relief South Africa is doing um, uh, during the month of Ramadan and what activities they engaged in. Uh, so joining me online now is Nazreen English. She's a field officer in the Cape Town office with the head office of Islamic Relief. She's going to be sharing some more insight with regards to some of the activities Islamic Relief is involved in uh, in Cape Town more specifically. Nazreen, assalamu alaikum. Shukran so much for joining us. Salaam, how are you? Very well, alhamdulillah. How are you doing this morning? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So tell us a bit more about uh, what you are so very busy with. I know this, you mentioned earlier this morning that you've got uh, another distribution planned uh, for somewhere in the mother city. Uh, please tell us more. Okay. Um, currently... What we have planned, um, let, me, let me put it you this way. Mm-hmm. We um, have our focus areas that we're concentrating on. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you it would be Kailicha, Umfulini, Kukulini, Tutafosuk, Manimbers, and Bontiavo. Mm-hmm. What we've done so far is we've distributed in Bontiavo and Tafosuk. Mm-hmm. So we need to focus on our other areas now. And that mm-hmm. would be Kailicha, Umfulini, Kukulini, and um, Manimbers. Mm-hmm. So the the distributions, of course, I'm assuming would be um, in terms of Ramadan hampers. Is that correct? Yeah, it would be with, with Ramadan hampers. So what is the what do those Ramadan hampers contain, uh, particularly in Cape Town? I do know that in other regions it varies uh, depending on what the need is in those communities. But uh, in terms of the Cape Town hamper, for example, what are the kind of things that are contained in that hamper, and uh, and more or less what how is it broken down and how is it decided on? Look how the Ramadan um, parcel is decided on uh, what we do is way before Ramadan even starts. We go out to the communities that we are busy at and we'll speak to the people, uh, the, the, uh, the mothers, and say, look, um, for your Ramadan parcel, what, what would you mm-hmm. not like? What do you think helps you? That's what they do. Okay. They give us like a pre-assessment way before the time. And then when we do do our um, parcels and that, we'll sit down table mm-hmm. and um, we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. In our Ramadan parcel for this year, we have um, rice, okay. we have two cake flowers, we have a big fish oil, we have sugar, we have eggs, we have chili bites, mm-hmm. um, we have the uh, vermicelli, mm-hmm. and um, fish, we have um, tins of, we have baked beans, we have mixed vegetables. That's basically on what they see that mm-hmm. would help them in the Ramadan to mm. make the Easter better for them. You mm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's basically what they, what, what they would do. The flower, they say, plays a big role because mm-hmm. then they can bake with it. Yeah. Uh, they can bake rolls, they can bake bread. Mm-hmm. The fish oil, they also play a big role yeah. in it as well. So yeah, it's basically what the people said. Mm-hmm. And so, it works from them. So basically, um, in terms of the, the, when it comes to the decision making, in terms of what 
those hampers are contained. You spoke about going out to the communities and actually engaging with them and consulting with them and then taking the information you get from them and then putting together that hamper. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, fantastic. So that spirit of of consultation and engagement with the community, is that one of Islamic Relief's important or core focuses, uh, particularly when it, when it comes to engaging with the community and what their needs are? Yes, yes. Um, it is one of our core focuses because, look, basically, um, we can go into an area and we can see, look, the area needs this, but mm-hmm. we need to speak to the community and to the people. Mm-hmm. What do they need mm-hmm. and what will help the community? It's not what we want, it's what, what, it's what they need mm-hmm. and how it's going to help them. Mm-hmm. So that's one of our main focuses. It's mm-hmm. just not to go into an area and we say, okay, we need a, 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 a borehole there. Mm-hmm. No, we need to go in, we need to speak to the community leaders, we need to speak to the people, we need to ask them, will this borehole help you people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's absolutely fantastic. Now, Nazreen, you've been uh, a field worker with Islamic Relief for a number of years now, and I'm sure you've experienced a lot. You've spoken to a number of different people. Very quickly, in two minutes, can you share a story of someone or a family or an individual that stands out for you um, that could inspire a listener this morning? Well, there is this one particular lady. She stands out for me. She's a single mother. She has four children. Um, she lives in a very, um, I use the word, forgotten mm-hmm. area. Um, so she, her struggle is very real. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she, she goes out for me completely. Mm-hmm. I promise you that because a lot, I think it was two years back, the son was shot in time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very difficult for a single mother. Mm-hmm. To raise four children in a community in an area like that, mm-hmm. very difficult. That's why um, I will always keep her in my doors, and I always go to her, you know, and I always mm-hmm. check up on her because she's one of those good, good, really good parents mm-hmm. that would strive to get her children to the next point. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, um, sometimes life swirls you around, but she mm-hmm. gets back on par and then she goes ahead again. And people like that definitely need a hand. Definitely need help. We will keep them pushing that nudge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's no, fantastic. Nazreen, thank you so much for joining us. May Allah reward you for all your hard work and your efforts. Um, uh, not only this Ramadan, of course, you've been part of Islamic Relief, as I mentioned, for a number of years. May Allah reward you for your efforts and your sacrifices. It often means time away from your family and time away from your loved ones. May Allah reward you for that abundantly, inshallah. And again, shukran so much for joining us this morning. Shukran so much, Ashraf. This is the show in which we are featuring the largest Muslim NGO in the world. As Brother Yusuf mentioned, also the ranked in the top 20 of the world's best organizations or best NGOs for that matter. And I think if we look at the top 20 organizations like the International Red Cross come to mind, organizations like UNICEF and Oxfam and Islamic Relief, so that Islamic Relief is right in the among the bunch. Joining us online now is the program's coordinator in Johannesburg, uh, Brother Tariq Matiba. Now, uh, he and I last week took a trip uh, from Johannesburg all the way to Lesotho, faced a number of different challenges, but he's going to tell us why uh, we took that journey. Brother Tariq, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Brother Asraf, how are you? Very well, alhamdulillah. How are you doing? I'm well, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So I, I've, I've mentioned to the listeners now that we took this journey. We went to Lesotho. Um, and I'd like for you to tell the listeners why it is that we went out there. And 
what it is that we were able to to achieve in such in such a short time. Um, alaikum to your listeners, um, and um, shukran so much for having me on the show. Um, alhamdulillah, it was quite an, uh, a, a journey. Um, the reason really behind this, um, you know, Islamic Relief, with our focus, um, you know, being on, on, on um, you know, so many other things, and some of them being um, food security, mm-hmm. um, and it being Ramadan, we undertook the journey to go and uh, provide um, food hampers to families of uh, Muslims who will be fasting this Ramadan. Mm-hmm. As we know, um, the Sutra has one of the highest um, poverty levels in the world. And due to the drought that has recently hit the country, the um, poverty levels have actually, you know, been extended. And I am sure you saw, even with our, you know, uh, the experiences we had mm-hmm. in the country and going up to those mountains, um, so essentially, you know, the, the whole purpose of the trip was to make sure that some of those Muslims will have um, some sort of strain removed from them during the Ramadan um, with the food hampers, mm-hmm. inshallah. Inshallah. So Ramadan hampers were distributed, of course, in a number of different areas in Lesotho. More or less, how many people have benefited and maybe share with the listeners how many areas uh, within the borders of Lesotho were covered? Okay. We covered seven districts of Lesotho from Butabute in the north right down to Kuting in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, number of food hampers was um, just over 560. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, and, and the hampers were filled with, um, you know, the, the, the staples that um, the people of Lesotho are um, accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Due to our, you know, the, the Pre, uh, the, the needs assessments that we do, we consulted the families to um, establish what sort of food they require um, and, 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 you know, they, they prefer. And we, we try and get as much um, close to that as possible because in, in, in general, it is never, uh, you know, it's never a good thing to impose certain staples on, on, on people. Mm-hmm. And in certain areas, we find that people end up not even um, either being able to, to, to cook the stuff or even yeah. eat it. So we consulted with them and provided them pretty much with what they, mm-hmm. they normally would, um, yeah. would eat or what um, they are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Now, Alhamdulillah, Brother Tariq, you've also been with Islamic Relief for quite a while now. Uh, you've tra- traveled quite extensively throughout Africa with the organization. On this trip... Did anything stand out for you? Did an experience of an individual or a family uh, stand out for you? And something that you maybe would like to share uh, with the listeners this morning? You know, um, I've been going to Lesotho a number of times now. And each time I go there, I get met, you know, by um, a, a different type of emotion with the people that, uh, that we meet. There was a particular um, old lady that we met in this recent trip. And um, it was really a heartbreaking story. I think maybe just um, to, to explain the thing um, that's taking place in this, because of the high unemployment rate mm-hmm. and the, the lack of access to jobs, a lot of the youth end up leaving um, the villages for either the city or even South Africa. Mm-hmm. So by this, they sometimes um, leave their, their parents who are elderly mm-hmm. behind, having to 
basically take care of themselves and in instances taking care of their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And this was the case with this particular lady named um, Amina. Mm -hmm. Um, She was left with two um, um, of her grandchildren whom she basically has to look after. And her story that she survived on a 50 rand, not just a month, but it has to cover three months supplies of of whatever she needs and that money is made from you know an 80 kilogram bag of maize that she would have found and 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 sold herself um uh, to the to her own neighbors it was it was really um you know a touching story one that um you know makes us wish to go back and do even more than just providing this this single mm-hmm. food hamper predatory by what you've said why should people donate to Islamic Relief? Um, you know, firstly, because of the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, due to the experience that it is um, within Islamic Relief and um, the access to certain volatile areas where, Isla- where generally people are not able to, to, to get to, um, it, it becomes essential that you, know, you, you partner with an organization that you can trust, mm-hmm. they'll reach and deliver your aid to those um, hard-hit areas where the need is really high. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it should um, really be around the, um, um, the focus of the, of the organization, that we do not just encourage um, the ones of giving, but it is developmental. We, we look at um, you know, expanding from where we, we, we start off. And even in areas like Lesotho, where we are um, actually looking to establish a um, a, a, a water project mm-hmm. um, in, in some of the districts of Lesotho, we do, um, you know, plead to our donors to really, you know, um, partner with us, provide the funding so we can um, establish those um, programs that will um, uh, ultimately um help in the in the develop you know in the livelihoods um of of, of these um people brother doric uh it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this morning um making me think about some of the experiences we had uh, last week and uh hopefully maybe inshallah next week and the coming weeks on the show we'll have you join us again and we can uh, elaborate and share some more of those experiences with the listeners inshallah but for now we can so much for taking the time out and for joining us on the show this morning We've spoken to a number of different people this morning, giving us insights into a number of different things that there's been, a number of different things Islamic Relief has been doing. And uh, we've heard, of course, from Brother Yusuf in terms of some of the local and international projects that Islamic Relief is involved in and how it is that Islamic Relief as an NGO and as an organization is able to reach such a large amount of people across the world at any given time. And, uh, of course, we spoke about, about the, the problems and the crisis that is facing East Africa at the moment. And uh, joining me now from Kenya, from Nairobi, is uh, no stranger to the Voice of the Cape um, and uh, a former staff member of the Voice of the Cape 
and of Islamic Relief South Africa, Shanazi Prime Kiri, who is, of course, the head of communications for the East Africa region based in Nairobi. Shanaz, assalamu alaikum. So while we get her back on the line, inshallah, we're also going to be featuring, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, now, just after this discussion with Shanaz, we'll be featuring an interview or doing an interview with uh, a staff member at Islamic Relief and we'll try and alternate that uh, over the four weeks. And inshallah, we will be featuring Fariniz Hashim, who is the procurement officer in our head office. We'll be chatting to her at the roundabout just after 11.30 this morning, inshallah. Finding out a bit more about herself and what it is that she does and why it is that she works for Islamic Relief, etc., uh, etc. Et so, as I mentioned, just after this, inshallah, we'll be featuring that interview with the staff profile interview with one of our staff members or our procurement officer at Islamic Relief that will take place just at about after 11.30 inshallah and so do remember you can also make contact with us Islamic Relief has a toll free number right so if you need to make contact with him if anything you've heard this morning by any way sounds interesting to you sounds like something you'd like to know more about or you feel like you would like to donate or you have something that you'd like to give to the organization you can call the, the following toll-free number, grab a pen very quickly, or get those phones ready. It's 0800-111-898. It's really simple. 0800-111-898. And call that number. We'll speak, we'll get you in contact with all the relevant people, regardless of whether or not it is that you want to donate or you want to assist in some way, uh, we'll be able to direct you in the right direction, inshallah. Let's try this again. Shanaz Ibrahim, Kiri, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam to you, Ashraf, and listening to the voice of the Kashyikhan for having me on air this morning. How are you doing, Shanaz Ibrahim, Kiri? I'm good, alhamdulillah, but must be honest, I'm missing um, Ramadan in Cape Town. <laughs> but alhamdulillah, it's been going very well on the side. Doing fantastic work for people that are really in need of it. So um, while we do understand that you miss us, uh, we of course know that you have a job to do um, and uh, in order for, for you to benefit the people of East Africa. Shanash, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a very busy schedule. It's the last week before you head home um, uh, for or come, to come back to, to SA and coming back to Cape Town. In terms of the situation in East Africa, you've, you've spoken at length about on this station and on other stations about the crisis there, the famine there, the drought there, um, and what the situation is. What I want to get Hi. into today is how over the time from January or December last year, where we came to know about this, this crisis, to now, what has Islamic Relief been able to do in those regions to try and alleviate um, the situation and, and try and bring some sort of a relief to those people? Uh, Ashra, so much. Um, alhamdulillah, I think Islamic Relief has been one of the few NGOs that's been on the ground from the start. Um, Islamic Relief has a regional office that's based in Nairobi, Kenya, that's where I have been based over the last three months. And we've been working across the region the, and with regards to the emergency response itself. We've got um, offices in Ethiopia, in Sudan, in South Sudan, in Kenya and Somalia. And um, obviously because of the weight of the emergency, each um, in a individual field officers actively involved in responding to the ground emergencies. In some areas in South, in South Sudan, as well as in Sudan, there's already been a famine decade in some states. And at the moment, uh, just last week, we attended a conference where um, a lot of NGO role players in the region 
um, came together to try and discuss means to avoid a um, famine in Somalia as well. So with regards to Islamic relief intervention, I've got a few statistics. I know the numbers are quite heavy. But alhamdulillah, um, the organizations reached already about a quarter million people, which is about 250,000 people in the sectors of emergency food, water, sanitation and hygiene, where we've either installed boreholes or we have um, rehabilitated boreholes. We've also um, worked um, in the health sector. We've got mobile clinics that's been operating in Somalia as well as in Ethiopia. And we've reached over 13,600 people um, in the health sector alone. In terms of additional nutritional support, we've reached about 7,500 people. And then we've also distributed non-food items such as, um, you know, um, plastic sheeting for um, for, for um, uh, shelter. We've also done um, distributed mosquito meat. And we've reached over 2,000 people, um, you know, with non-food items. And alhamdulillah, we've also assisted, given the fact that most of the families that we've been assisting are either pastoral, agro-pastoral families, meaning that they farm um, either, you know, they grow crops, vegetables, um, or they, um, you know, farm in livestock. We've um, reached about 11,000 um, families in terms of just supporting them with livestock. Mm-hmm. So alhamdulillah, we've actually done quite a bit in the last few months. But um, we're still in an emergency phase. It's not the end of it all. But I think, um, you know, it's something that we really need to keep front of mind when it comes to East Africa because, um, you know, uh, just based on the statistics, there's still about 19 million people across the region that's that's in dire need of support. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Shiraz, we've heard a number of different stories coming from the region. But I think what I want you to do for us this morning is to sketch for us what it's like for someone that lives in the north of Somalia or the south of Somalia who is suffering at home um, wherever they may be possibly even with money in their pockets with nothing to buy with that money with no water to to drink with no food to eat sketch me the story of that person and how it is that what it is that that person has to endure before he or she is able to find some sort of relief or find a displacement camp or something like that? You know, Ashraf, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to um, travel into some of these areas and visit these refugee camps, you know, first and that um, as a journalist, it's so difficult for me to actually put my thoughts down in paper. So I haven't really been posting much to social media because I felt that, you know, I don't think it would be able, I would be able to do justice in terms of what I've experienced and what I've actually seen, you know, first hand. Uh, we've received, um, we've spoken to women, you know, mothers um, who've walked for kilometers on end with their children from their village because the water is too dried out. And um, they were in desperate need of water. I mean, this one lady um, in Ethiopia, for example, she moved from a family's um, village and she walked about 20 kilometers to walk for a few days. Mm-hmm. And um, she and the family uh, and her children started living on the side of the road. Um, and they would actually stop the stop vehicles, oncoming traffic, you know, just to drive people down to try and get a bottle of water from them. Mm-hmm. Um, by the regional director, we had um, um, W. Ahmed, he was actually uh, relaying stories of first-hand experiences where he's actually spoken and he's actually seen people um, in South Sudan eating grass because there's nothing else to eat. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a bit overwhelming at first when you realize you know, just the desperate state that people have reached, um, at the desperate level that people have reached. But it's quite scary also to think that 
you know, we've done so much in the last four months, but there's still so much more to do. Uh, we've heard of families of mothers losing children along that walk um, in Mogadishu. Um, we just worked from one village to Mogadishu camp, and, um, you know, she left, she, she left home with six children, and along the way, three of her children passed away. And it's very, very similar stories that, you know, we've come across from one area to another. In Enabo, for example, in um, uh, which is in Somalia, we had a chat with um, a mother whose daughter is um, epileptic, mm-hmm. and she suffered from um, from seizures um, all the time. She's never been able to afford to send or, or take the child to a doctor, and the closest doctor or clinic is about 120 kilometers away from this refugee camp. Mm-hmm. So um, when we went in there, they actually thought that we were coming in to with um, with aid. Mm-hmm. And we just happened to pass through the area. And what happened was this is one of the refugee camps that just popped up because mm-hmm. some of the other refugee camps in the area was um, overcrowded. And we found that um, some refugee camps haven't been registered with either the local authorities or mm-hmm. with the um, United Nations, mm-hmm. um, you know, HCR. So there's a lot of um, work that still needs to be done. One of the biggest issues that Ashraf is facing um, this East Africa region is mass displacement. There's still issues of conflict, there's still issues of insecurity, these issues of, um, because of the drought as well and, and environmental factors, there hasn't been rain in some areas in of more than two seasons now. So um, everything, you know, is kind of like just bottlenecking and mm-hmm. we, this, we, we're hoping that this, this issue is not going to explode into something more serious. Mm-hmm. Shanaz, I want to continue this conversation. I think you bring up quite a number of different important things that I want to continue talking about. Shanaz, we were talking about the reality for people in East Africa, right? And uh, you mentioned, for example, the various stories uh, in terms of families traveling more than 20 kilometers often not having had food or water or anything, and then traveling and losing some family members along the way. Now, you may not be in Cape Town, but I'm sure you know that the situation in Cape Town is as such that um, if we don't have sufficient rain or if we don't get sufficient rain within the coming weeks or the coming months, that we may find ourselves as Capetonians in a situation where uh, or a very similar situation to the people in East Africa right now. You, of course, also made mention of a number of different things in terms of um, the relief and and the work being done by Islamic Relief. But I think what I want to get to and and what I want your help with is to try and make it it seem a bit more real. How do we bring it back and, and make people realize the severity of the situation in East Africa? I, th- I think, Ashraf, one of the things that um, we walked away with from the conference last week on um, the pre-famine situation in Somalia was three very critical issues. One being the fact that because of the lack of water and the lack of clean water, there's been more than 49,000 cases of cholera um, recorded between Somalia and Ethiopia alone. And that, and, and I think there's been also been cases reported in the Dadaab refugee camp in Kenya. And this is quite critical because at the end of the day, one, um, people, uh, we've got images, and I mean, I can make this available to, you know, people if they contact the Islamic Relief Office and, you know, we can get in touch. We've got an East Africa report that I've, conclu- I've just completed and uh, we're basically printing a few copies so it will be available online as well. Um, and it actually tells you a lot in terms of just how people have been struggling just to access clean, um, drinkable water. Um, so walking away from um, the conflict 
conference last week, the World Health Organization actually issued a statement saying that if they don't tackle the clean water issue, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, more severe health repercussions, especially in an area that's already been affected by the lack of food and lack of nutrition. There's more than 250,000 children, Ashraf, that's acutely malnourished in Somalia alone. Mm-hmm. And these are like mind-boggling figures. Um, one of the issues that was also raised was the issue of security and protection, especially for women and young girls, because they're mainly the ones responsible for collecting water. And mm-hmm. Water Point is up to a day's walk away from the village where they're living in. Uh, we, we, um, we actually stopped in some villages on our way to um, the Ainaba refugee camp. And uh, dams and water wells and boreholes are absolutely completely empty. Uh, it's dry. There's like a, there's a dam and it's just dry. You actually see, um, you know, how arid the land is because that it is not seen water in more than two seasons. Um, mm-hmm. There's been no rain for the last two seasons. So one of the issues is protection. What was interesting though was that the United Nations was saying that they actually did not acknowledge how important protection was within the emergency, the six-month emergency phase, because um, the emergency has been structured into different phases, and when they were busy with the free planning, they never really considered how important um, you know, the issues of the protection of women and, and young girls mm. are in relation to the um, drought and famine response. So one of the things that they're now looking at is, in this, uh, in, in, as the visit rolling out the next phase of this emergency, they're looking at prioritizing that because there's been reports of rape, there's been several reports of gender-based violence in refugee camps as well as villages where, you know, the um, conditions have become so dire that, um, you know, the, that was, um, you know, just one of those social issues that, that, that um, one of those burning issues daily that, that, that came to the fore. The other issue that um, I know that Islamic Relief has been quite um, progressive on has been capacity and resilience building within villages. We've been trying to reach villages before people start moving and before the ease, um, you know, before water kind of run, runs out. In Ethiopia, we've been doing water tracking, and this has been really, really successful. Alhamdulillah, we've reached over 30,000 people on, on a weekly basis. So what happens is that Islamic Relief has a water tracking system where they actually where they um, collect water and they track it to villages, trying to um, you know stop people from leaving villages and um, get and um, so that they don't have to walk you know kilometres you know or more than a day to get to the nearest refugee camp because the conditions in the refugee camp is not also ideal. I spoke to a woman a few weeks ago and she said you know I'm living in this refugee camp but I've lost all my dignity. We don't have water mm-hmm. in the refugee camp. There's no water. There's no sanitation. There's no toilets. They get to bath literally every two weeks, and they, it's because there's so many people and there's so little water to go around. They have to share a bag of rice amongst, um, you know, four to five families, and the families themselves, I mean, they live in um, these makeshift tents that's made of clothing and maybe mm-hmm. plastic sheeting and things like that, and it's not bigger than a three-by-three marquee tent. Mm-hmm. So if, if people know the exhibition tents at the Voice of the Coast Festival, yeah. it's the three-by-three yeah. unit. Yeah. Smaller than that, mm-hmm. so much smaller, and it's up to ten people living in a, up to ten people in a family living in, mm-hmm. in, in a small um, um, area like that. So there's several um, issues, you know, that's happening. It's not only just the lack of food and water, there's protection issues, there's capacity building within villages, um, because that is needed. Islamic Relief doesn't just do emergency 
you know, they, they don't just do a food and water drop and then mm-hmm. head out. They're actually working within villages and within communities, trying to set up long-term integrated um, response mm-hmm. plans mm-hmm. Where, they, uh, where they're setting up clinics and schools and they're also doing, um, you know, boreholes and, you know, providing sustainable livelihood um, support through microfinance programs. So there's been a lot of support for agricultural um, projects within communities as well, so that a community can become self-sustainable and, mm-hmm. and you know, through Islamic relief support and help. So now I'm going to ask you a journalistic question now, just before we conclude. Do you think us as Muslims here in Cape Town, us as Muslims in South Africa, and generally human beings around the world, and more so specifically in South Africa and more specifically in Cape Town, are we doing enough to help the people of East Africa? Ashraf, I think that's a rather... Quite a loaded question because at the end of the day, I, I understand that as much as um, you know, East Africa is um, a priority for me since I'm working here. Um, I also believe that there are so many critical social issues happening in our very own community back home, and everyone knows I'm a community journalist at heart, and I'm you know, Cape Town um, first. But I believe that you know, at the end of the day, we need to start actually rallying together and coming together as a community to address issues, whether it is locally or um, abroad, such as in in such as East Africa. I think mm-hmm. we put so much division. I think that we don't really communicate very well and we don't really share our concerns around an issue mm-hmm. really, very well. People are worried about, um, you know, politically speaking, um, you know, there's so much debate around, um, you know, politics in South Africa and whether, you know, um, the Gupta's own government and all that yeah. stuff. But at the end of the day, I think, you know what, let's take it one step um, let's take a step back instead of focusing on issues that we don't really have much control over. Mm-hmm. Look at your neighbor, look at your very, very own community, looking, you know, that radius beyond your home and your, just start off with your road. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm quite sure these issues such as gangsterism, drugs, and things that are affecting our very own community. And at the end of the day, if we look deeper into it, we realize that these so much more socioeconomic issues that, are, that we as a community need to, you know, build on. At the end of the day, Islamic Relief has many interventions on a local community level, and I believe that you know it's one of those organisations where you can actually you know come to the quite open for you know to people coming in to volunteer to actually work with our communities. And at the end of the end of the day, there's so many professionals within our communities that wants to give back. And I think so this is one of the organisations that actually allows you to come forward and say, you know what. Um, I'm a social worker and I'd like to work mm-hmm. with you guys and you know, that so, so we're more than willing to assist. With regards to East Africa, I think that there's so many other global crises at the moment that um, you know has had so much media attention. But if we look at Syria, we look at Gaza, we look at Yemen. And I think, um, you know, just from, a, from, African, from an African perspective, Ashraf, I think it's critical that we do look first to what we can do within the continent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if people have an opportunity to support Islamic Relief Interventions in East Africa, they're more than welcome to email me. My contact details is available from the office. I can share this East Africa report with them, and it can just it will give them an idea of, you know, what has been some of the critical issues. Yeah. Right now, our emergency phase um, doesn't end. Our Ramadan distribution um, program is currently underway. I've actually asked this to speak, uh, before this interview, but the guys are in the field, but I can share mm-hmm. that um, with the ESC at the late today. But um, we, we don't stop at the end of the day. You know, the work must continue because we have to make our community and, you know, the, the, the broader society um, bigger mm. for all.
Inshallah. Shana, shukran so much for joining us and taking the time out. Hopefully, inshallah, once you're back in Cape Town, we will drag you with us into studio, inshallah, and we can expand on this conversation a bit more because this is a crisis and it needs urgent attention. And uh, I think we can debate and continue debating whether or not we are doing enough. The conversation needs to continue, inshallah. But shukran so much for joining us once again and safe travels back to Cape Town. We spoke to a number of different people this morning, speaking about a number of different things and speaking about the work that is being done at Islamic Relief. For this last segment, inshallah, we want to focus on the people that make the work happen. Uh, and one such person is uh, joining us online now, Fariniz Hashim, who is the procurement officer at Islamic Relief. Someone with has been with Islamic Relief for quite a while now um, and has a number of different experiences that I'm hoping she'd share with us this morning. Uh, for Denise, Salaamu Alaikum. Shukran so much for joining us. Wa Alaikum Salaam Ashraf and Shukran for having me. For Denise, your journey at Islamic Relief, when did it start and how did it come about? Oh, the journey started at, in 2014 mm-hmm. and um, it, it started as an administrator for the organization and then when the role for procurement officer, the national procurement officer came about, um, it's the first time that it's in the South African office, um, I was offered the position and um, yeah, I am. Alhamdulillah. So you, your, your, your background before Islamic Relief, I think, is, is quite interesting as well. Um, and, and, and I maybe just wanted to touch on some of that and some of the special skills that may some of the, the people that interact with you. Um, and I'm sure some of your colleagues may even not know this, uh, but people that interact with you on a daily basis may not know about you. Um, share some more. Oh, you know, I should have um, to appreciate, personally, to appreciate the work that we do and have an understanding of the people we serve. I am fortunate in the sense that um, I have been there where most of our beneficiaries have been before mm-hmm. or are currently at. I was in a situation where I was where I was homeless, I was in a situation when I was in need, and I also was a beneficiary many years ago. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why I have the passion that I have is because I know what systems um, and NGOs, the work that they do, how beneficial it is, for beneficiaries out there, mm-hmm. it can make or break a person. In some senses, it can be make it can make people become too dependent. In my mm-hmm. case, Alhamdulillah, it was the catalyst to become who I am today. It was the driving force in terms of I don't want to be in this vulnerable position any longer. Mm-hmm. I want to make a change in my life, and I want to make a change for the better. So. Um, Organizations that are doing great work within the community are what supports me in my journey to become who I am today and make myself sufficient with the Qudrat of Allah. Mm-hmm. Farinis, you know, sometimes for, 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 for us in particular, that, that work in, in uh, the NGO sector and, and, and particularly those of us who work for Islamic Relief, um, you know, with, with other jobs, you sometimes stand up in the morning and we go, you know what, I'm not really in the mood for work today. Um, but yet, day after day after day, we pitch up and we arrive and we do what needs to be done. What gets you out of bed in the morning to come and work at Islamic Relief? What gets me out of bed in the morning, Ashtafi, is that knowing there are people out there who are in need. There is always going to be a need. And as as mankind, as humanity, as a Muslim, we have a responsibility in order to ensure um, I live by the code, Ashraf, that mm-hmm. you desire for, your, for others what you desire for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if I want what's good, 
in terms of not only in terms of of worldly positions, but things like basic things like human dignity to be treated with respect, mm-hmm. to to live in comfort, to live in peace, to live in harmony, to be able to practice my religion, mm-hmm. to, to be able to be comfortable in the way I live my life. Those basic human needs are what drives me in order to ensure that others out there have access to the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. And we live in a I know people will disagree with me when I say we live in a fairly safe country. Mm-hmm. Um, alhamdulillah, we know this crime, mm-hmm. but we still can practice a lot of what other people cannot, cannot. practice. Mm-hmm. We have freedom and access to be who we want to be and, and, and what Allah prescribes for us to be. So in order to um, give that opportunity or be part of the mechanism that allows people to live in human with human dignity and have access to something that will help them with system in their develop, developmental journey, that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. You know, Felonese, as I mentioned, for us that work for Muslim NGOs and for work for us that work in the NGOs, um, particularly during Ramadan, um, but throughout the year as well, um, it's the time of year we, we make a lot of sacrifices. And uh, you, for example, um, have mentioned a number of times the kind of sacrifices in terms of having to travel to and from work and it's sometimes falling in um, the time of iftar or, or, or suhoor, for example. You and know, Ashraf, in that itself, yeah. sometimes uh, it all depends on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. But I like to draw the positivity out of stuff. Like sometimes we have people who you find yourself in a train packed full of people. You would love to be next at the table with your loved ones, with your mm-hmm. family. Uh, and I'm just giving an example because that's where I was at. Mm-hmm. But then I also, um, once you're in the situation and you draw the positives from it, you tell yourself, you know, in actual fact, it's not that big of a sacrifice because then you're exposed to muhabba of another mm-hmm. kind. You have people sharing a packet of knickknacks when it's iftar time mm-hmm. because they find themselves on a train. You have people breaking off pieces of a date because there's a fellow Muslim on the train mm-hmm. and it's iftar time and they share in little bits of water. So, you know, in our life and in our work, we get sac- we make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But in those sacrifices of our joys mm-hmm. and also opportunities for, for us to count our blessings mm-hmm. as well, alhamdulillah. Yeah. And, and I, I think in addition to what I was going to say, for example, it, I mean, these are the kind of sacrifices that, that, that one would make, um, but often not really to the point where we, where we lose sleep over or, or it really affects us or it, affects, or it really bothers us. Because ultimately, there's an end goal. Ultimately, there's a purpose that we are serving, not so? It's just achieving the end purpose and you do what needs to be done. You cannot think what if and I would like to be. It's, there is a need. And that need needs to be fulfilled. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen me to fulfill that need, all the better, alhamdulillah. And, you know, by the time you find yourself and the deed is done, it is not that much of an issue anymore. And then you feel blessed in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used you and chosen you to be part of that process. For mm-hmm. is from an individual that has known about Islamic Relief before you joined the organization and for someone that is now working within the organization who knows a little bit more about the organization. For someone who's listening at home who has uh, their fitra money or has their zakah money or has some money that they, they've kept aside for sadaqah for whatever reason it may be, working for Islamic Relief and having experienced what the organization is all about, why should people donate to Islamic Relief? You know, um, fasting is 
is such a beautiful blessing, alhamdulillah. And because the fitra is part that really fulfills and validates that fasting, you want to ensure that whatever you do and whatever you give will do the honor of the, of the, of the effort you've put into your fasting and the love of which you have fasted. So if you want to validate, you really want to validate and you know that whatever I do and give in terms of fitra and it will be channeled correctly and it will be allocated correctly and it will be given to people who are just deserving thereof, you know, and because of the fact that we do everything within a transparent manner, mm-hmm. give it to people who have the know-how. And that is what Islamic belief has, alhamdulillah, in terms of knowing who to give it to, how to give it, and to be conscientious of the, of the, of the, of the criteria that's attached to that allocation and the criteria for which that money is the purpose which is, is mm-hmm. for. So um, if you want peace of mind, that the money that you're giving in terms of fitra, that it's going to be the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is intended to, please do so with this one, please. And of course, you need to ensure that whatever you give is going to be channeled in the right way, inshallah. Mm-hmm. The thing is, this, with, with Islamic relief, um, even if you look at the, at the receipt, it's simple. The money is collected or allocated to what you want it for. So um, it's not, they're not going to take you as a car and do something else with it. They're going to take the fitra because we have people counting and are very conscientious of where the money is allocated to and that it is spent in that manner. And just, in, just on that point, Ashraf, on Eid, the, the night before Eid, mm-hmm. we are still counting to the last cent yeah. what must be done. And I remember about two or three years ago, our country director, our HOD finance, at 10 o'clock the night before Eid, because people brought the fitras in late, mm-hmm. they were still dispensing at 10 o'clock the evening before Eid. That is the level of conscientiousness mm-hmm. they have in terms of allocating mm-hmm. the money they received in the proper mm-hmm. manner, inshallah. And I think in addition, the commitment to uh, accepting and, and fulfilling the amana that people give us when people come and donate towards the organization, not so? Again, it's, uh, you know, that's the amana, and you're right, Ashraf, but there's, no, there's nothing that can replace the feeling when you give or hand over a puzzle to a person you know who doesn't have, mm-hmm. and this that you're giving to them, on behalf of others, is going to give them an opportunity to have a good eat where they'll have something to eat, inshallah. Farinesh, shukran so much for joining us this morning, inshallah. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Uh, We'll, we'll of course, continue the conversation. And for those listeners that want to know a bit more about um, you, they can contact you at the office, not so. Office number is 021-696-0145. If you want to know more about Farinese, if you want to speak to Farinese about anything, give her a call, inshallah. Farinesh, shukran so much for joining us, inshallah. All the best. And assalamu alaikum to the listeners as well. And Ramadan Karim, the voice of the K-Listeners. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Two or three minutes left before we have to conclude, inshallah. A couple of reminders. Firstly, of course, Islamic Relief will be on the Relief Network every Monday between 10 and 12 p.m. In the coming shows, inshallah, we're going to be looking at a number of different elements. We're going to be looking at focusing on zakah, what what is zakatable, what isn't zakatable, um, etc., etc. We're going to dive deep into that. So if you have any questions, you can hold them for next week, inshallah. Uh, the plan is to have in studio with us uh, one of the uh, Islamic or religious ambassadors of Islamic Relief joining us. I'll keep 
quiet as to who that is and inshallah hopefully you'll find out next week we're also going to be linking up in uh, the upcoming shows inshallah with our colleagues in in syria in particular and we're also going to try to link up with our colleagues in uh, in gaza and hopefully have a conversation around uh, the kind of struggles and the kind of challenges that they can be facing um and and that, that people in those regions are facing uh, at the moment but just before we conclude i think i just wanted to add one thing we've listened and we've spoken to a number of different people this morning depending on what time you were able to tune in you may have heard certain parts and missed certain parts etc etc the important thing i want people to walk away with today is that the work that islamic relief does is unlike many other organizations and i say so with the greatest of respect there's a reason why islamic relief was ranked 20th of the top 500 ngos in the world there's a reason that Islamic Relief has 40, 42 or 45 offices around the world. There's a reason that Islamic Relief can be considered the largest Muslim organization in the world. And it's because there's that integrity in the work that we do. There's that commitment to fulfilling the amana of the donor, number one. And then also the commitment to serving humanity. And I think those are the three key parts that makes Islamic Relief an organization that stands out from all the rest. And so this Ramadan, when we are thinking about dispensing our zakah, when we're thinking about dispensing our sadaqah, we're dispensing, thinking of dispensing our lila in a certain way, I urge you, I humbly urge you to consider Islamic Relief and to give us a call if you have questions and donate what you can towards Islamic relief. And the reason we say so is not because, um, you know, we, we, we're trying to get you to give us your money or whatever it may be. But the reality for us is that the reason we've been able to have and, and be able to service millions and millions of people around the world is because of the donations and because of the support of the community. And so when it comes time, we, the community, and, and that's ultimately why Islamic Relief is in the top 20. Not because of the work that we're doing, not because of Ashraf Kini, not because of Yusuf Muhammad or Faraniz Hashim or anyone else at Islamic Relief. It's because of the donor community. It's because of you, the community that continuously supports the organization that makes it possible for us to be in the top 20. So this Ramadan, I'm asking you and I'm urging you, donate to Islamic Relief. You can donate online, www.islamic-relief.org.za. Uh, as I mentioned, our offices are right opposite Islamia College in Lansdowne. It's 396 Imam Harun Road in Lansdowne. Alternatively, you can contact us uh, and we can arrange for either a, a collection or a debit order system, whichever you prefer. Um, and our banking details are online as well. So if you do have any other questions or any queries or any concerns, please give us a call. I've given the, the local office number. I've also given the toll-free number, and I'll do so again. The office number is 021-696-0145. That's 021-696-0145. And then the toll-free number is 0800-111-898. That's 0800 Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure being in your company. I'll be with you next week again, inshallah. Until then, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.